Okay, Hazel Savage, Hello. VP of Music Intelligence. Correct. At SoundCloud. Also correct. But also founder of Musio, which has now been brought into SoundCloud. They acquired you. Yeah, so how I've been describing it is, you know, I've been saying for the last four years, you know, I'm Hazel Savage, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Musio. And now I have to say I'm the VP of intelligence at Musio by SoundCloud. That's why I had to read it. I'm glad that you had exactly. to go through yeah. it in detail. So, and, even, it. and even now I just catch myself because uh, there's always a high chance I'm going to introduce myself with the wrong job title. Um, but what's interesting as well is it's, it's kind of the same job. You right. know, SoundCloud acquired Musio, but I, I, we still sell the product. The whole team are there. The brand is there. So really, for me, the day to day is uh, is pretty similar. How does um, how did that acquisition happen? And and actually, before we go there, tell us about Musio. Let's go. Let's go to the very beginning because we have a mix of audience, business leaders, people in the audio world, yeah, yeah. call center managers now. So. Let's go back to the beginning. Musio is? Musio is an artificial intelligence company for the music industry. And what we really have done is we've built an AI that can listen to music. So for people who aren't in the industry, you might think, why would such a thing be needed? Uh, but there are about 60,000 new songs released every day onto streaming services. And, you know, 10 years ago, there was, you know, when we had physical CDs and cassettes, there was about six a week. So there's now more music released every day than used to come out in a whole year. Um, that's great. It's great for artists. It's great that more music can come out. But what it does mean is the industry is kind of staring down the barrel of a lot of content that they don't know what they have, what they can do with it, how they can sort it, search it, playlist it. So by building an artificial intelligence that can understand the content, you're able to, to do a lot more with what you have. So is this producers that might want to pick out a playlist or pick out a, a snippet for an advertising campaign all the way through to, I, well, what are the use cases? Well, yeah, so we, just, we sort of describe it as anyone who has a large catalogue of music could benefit from AI technology to, 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 to manage that catalogue. Um, but we do tend to see the applications with record labels, streaming services, could be individual producers, also sync, you know, say someone's got a database of 50,000 songs and Netflix come along and say, oh, we're looking for a piece of music that sounds like X. You know, do you start at track one and go to 50,000? Or could AI help you sort of look at the example track and go, here's our 10 closest matches. Human, yep, 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 no, boom, send. So it's kind of turning those hours and days long processes into something more automated, which leaves space for more creativity. And you're helping discovery then of artists that may otherwise not be found, right? Because you're um, surfacing, and I guess that's why the acquisition by SoundCloud made such sense, because yeah. that's the preeminent location for independent creators, music producers, whatever, to, to put their, their content yeah, absolutely. I mean, SoundCloud, I think, has probably the biggest catalogue of music in the world. It's about 350 million tracks. Um, I think our next biggest customer that we had pre-acquisition was about 10 million. So that's quite a, a jump in volume. But, but you know, even all the core streaming services who don't have user-generated content, UGC, will still have around sort of 60 to 90 million songs, which is a lot of songs. Yeah. And I remember, actually, we have another um, great client who has a like a, a sort of a private 
music publisher and they have about 50,000 songs and when I was setting up their account and testing that it was all working etc um, I actually was like dropping in a few tracks and just making sure it was all working how I wanted it to and I found that they had an artist in there who I know who's like a friend of mine and I was like oh you have Harry John George he's he's with you and oh okay very cool so you know they didn't sort of know off the top of their head they had him I didn't know and I've been working with this catalogue for a week but then you can uncover these sort of hidden gems using our technology so so yeah exactly why a company like SoundCloud uh, would be would be interested so that happened earlier this year and they've brought you in as it changed you've already mentioned it doesn't really change the day-to-day -day of your role but what does that extra yeah. ammunition give you in terms of being part of that huge ecosystem also the acquisition uh, was April 29th uh, I remember the date. You've got to have a cloak when you sell a company. The closing date is very important. It's not a kind of a Lucy about this month, about this time. It's like because you you set all of your numbers and programming and banking all towards one specific date, and at that point the switch happens, mm. and then it's you know so it's a it's an it's an art form is is the sale of a company. So yeah, April 29th, uh, twenty twenty two, uh, we sold the company. But obviously, we'd I'd been working on this deal. Um, with them for, for much longer back previously in, in 2021. And they'd been a customer for a year and a half before that. So, you know, we'd already learned to work with each other. We'd already learned, you know, where the benefits of the product is, uh, which kind of to them is like an extended due diligence. I was going to say, that's possibly yeah, the best yeah. due diligence you could ever have, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, um, well, I saw someone else uh, this week, uh, someone I would consider a competitor who's entered into a, a commercial deal with another big music company oh, I and uh yeah and i basically just went that's day one of due diligence yeah so yeah so i can spot it now i see it coming what without um speaking kind of against the um the, the monster of, of soundcloud what did you fear when you were approached to be acquired because that's your baby you've built that from the ground up with your co-founder yeah. you've got a team of people You've got um, a brilliant website that brings the personality of that team to, yeah. to life. What did you fear in being acquired? Love that question. So, well, firstly, I would just, because um, I've, people you have used the statement with me a lot, like, it's your baby. Mm. And funnily enough, I don't feel like that. So that's like part one of the answer to this, which is, I don't feel unnecessarily attached to my company because it's a business. right? And I think, you know, you can love what you do, you can love the team, you can really enjoy doing it. But I think maybe it comes with age, um, with not being like an early 20s founder. You don't want to get too attached to a technology or to a company, because ultimately business is business. Mm. And if you're too, I mean, I was, you know, all it for four years, working 12, 14 hours a day. It's not that I was never committed but you must all always understand that you exist as a human being outside of the technology. So, so I kept, I, I try to keep a healthy mindset on the company itself. And then, and then, so, but then when it comes to what did I fear? So I never really feared that I was losing control, mm. that I wasn't the number one or the big boss anymore. I'm actually not particularly attached to being a CEO. Love being a founder. CEO is a tough job. So I didn't really have any of those worries about, about being acquired. I guess it was more the day-to-day. -day. You know, 
are we going to be able to keep all our customers? Is the tech going to stay in market? It is. That was one of the things I was, you know, very keen on. Um, will I, who will my new boss be? Will I mm, like them? Will yeah. we get along? You know, what will the working culture of a bigger company be? I mean, I know SoundCloud, everyone does by reputation in the music industry, but how will that culture match? And especially when you're coming in as a, um, as a 15 person company being acquired by a 600 person company, the general anticipation is that we absorb into them. So therefore, how are there, is their culture one that we want to adopt? And how do we work towards bringing the best of what we had and not lose that in the mix? So those were my fears, if you will. How do you, how do you make that a success? And of course, this is the first company I've ever built and sold. So I get to do everything for the first time, which just makes it doubly hard. There's a playbook building in your mind about how to repeat it, if that's your oh, yeah. journey in life. Well, I mean, playbook building in my mind, if I ever decide to do it again, but I'm already hit up a lot and advising a bunch of other founders who are me a year or two years ago. Yeah. And it's just amazing the knowledge you can have. Like they might send me a document and I'll be like, red flag, no, don't do that. That'll come out. This won't work, you know. And so, you know, to live it is to do it the hard way. Yeah. Um, and yeah, doing it a second time, I'm sure would be would be fun. The the due diligence process is two ways. So you also get to see the oh, yeah. inside of what they're doing, particularly as they were a client. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think that's also quite an interesting dynamic in in what happened with with Musio. And I guess the fact that you've still got your brand, you've still got your website, and you, we were talking before, you know, about how yeah. the lockup might look in terms yeah. of Musio by SoundCloud or whatever it yeah. might be, shows that they valued that what you were building as a brand. So maybe rather than that emotional detachment from the from the company that you'd built, yeah. is more about letting it flourish and become what its potential could be. I think you're right. I think you're completely right. And I think, you know, I was in my career in and out of music technology and various different companies over the years. Occasionally I've had a job where, you know, I'm the, I'm the show pony. I'm the put the hat on me, send me to, on every cheap budget flight to every country in the world, <laughs> you know, handing out stickers, ringing the bell for, for whoever. And then I've also had jobs where I've been, you know, told, oh, we don't, we don't speak publicly. We don't go out and talk about these things. People find us, but we never, we never push people pull. And, and, and honestly, in those occasions, I've been like, amazing, two years off work travel. I can just stay home on weekends and I can have a reasonable sort of, you know, work-life balance. And, yeah. and so the other thing as well, not fear, but a curiosity for me was, I wonder which way this is going to go. Because, you know, I, Musio has a very strong brand and, and I do myself a lot of promotion around the company and, and my own sort of journey as a female founder. So I was like, are they going to want to capitalize or are they going to, or is that distracting? And we're going to want to pack right. that away a little. Um, and honestly, I was very open to either because I was like happy to have a few quiet years, sit back a little, enjoy the spoils. Um, but it turned out they were like, I was going to say, the road. based on our research into, into you and, and everything, that's definitely not the way no, that they went. <laughs> um, out and about. And you know what? They've really loved it. And yeah. I've just had overwhelmingly great feedback on, they love what we do on socials. They love what we do, you know, in, in interview situations, uh, the partnerships we do with events. So yeah, we've actually gone, gone bigger and bolder on that. So that's it, uh, which I enjoy it. So it's no hardship. 
I remember we Jacoby and I were were flying somewhere kind of early days of the of the company and we still adopt this policy now but um uh, one of our investors was messaging and said I hope you guys are not you know stuck in economy with you know it's an eight hour fly or yeah and and we Jacoby replied saying well yeah we are an economy until we're revenue positive you know we're not spending our investors cash on on heck yes first class flight business class and he replied i'm so fucking proud of you dude <laughs> <laughs> i think as well it's a mindset that you have to do yeah that. and but i've got a really great relationship with the current cfo and i think i put that down uh, down mainly to the fact that like i'm a northerner and you know we are by reputation tight with money <laughs> and i am extremely tight with money like i have always i spend it like it's my own yeah it doesn't matter what it is so you know i sort of but I uh, but I also hate when I see bloat and I see, you know, like, you know, if certain companies where the policy is you must fly this airline and that might mean it's an economy flight, but it's eight hundred dollars. And if you'd have flown the budget airline, it was 70. So yeah. why, do they, why do you have this policy that just yeah. costs you more money and isn't even an improvement? So I'm all about getting the getting the right cost and keeping a, a tight, a tight handle on the budget. I can't stop myself. I think it's interesting because I think when you're building something, there are things that you should in, you should lean into. Uh, for instance, we have a we have a philosophy that if we're going to turn up to an event, mm-hmm. we're going to turn up to an event. Right. And if we can't do it properly, don't do it. We're not going to do it yeah, because fair. that's just not the brand impact that we want to create, uh, and that's paid dividends to us. But you know, the video that will go on the screen, we can do as good a job of that in house with the talent yeah. team than going to an expensive agency that yeah. that fleece you. Yeah. And I think as well, for me, it was all about, you know, I've I realized maybe in the first year of Mesio, I had to kind of refine my event strategy. And it's just me. So it's an event strategy in, in, in my mind. But what happened was I found that, you know, because Mesio is so firmly in the music tech sphere that if I just went to music events like a like, I don't know, I didn't go to Coachella, but like a Coachella or like a music festival where there's no tech part it's all about artists and labels and stuff people would just look at me like well what are you why are you here and you try and explain it and there's no interest or no no acknowledgement so a pure music event doesn't land for us Mm. and then I also tried a few events that were just like pure tech focused so you're looking around brilliant events to all of these don't get me wrong you know your tech crunch or rise in Hong Kong where it's all about the technology and then you're trying to explain the music industry to people who are not interested. And so I found that neither of those events lands for me. And if I go to them, I just end up explaining the other part of the business to people who aren't really motivated or interested. So the absolute sweet spot for me is it's gotta be music and tech. So I'm talking Medem, South By, Music Biz, Nylon Connect, anywhere where those two worlds collide, there's always value. Mm. But that kind of, I learned that the hard way by going to a few events where I was like, Oh, there's not a ton for me to get yeah. out of this. Um, it does take a little while to to fine tune that. Um, it's quite interesting because we're you know we started live with you know music at our well we yeah. still have music at our core and yeah. audio even more so fundamentally, um, and now in this B two B SaaS place with contact centers as a big uh, a yeah. big part of our our experience and actually we go to events. That are tailored to that to to that industry, yeah. And the attendees are customers, but also the other exhibitors are customers. Right. So it's like 
Perfect. One plus one equals however many. Yeah, well, you've got everyone in the same room, but that's it. If you, you know, but if you went to say um, just an event that was just purely about the hardware for this industry. Yeah, that would be less. It would, you might get the odd one or two that kind of gets it, but it would be manufacturing and it would be factories and it would be hardware and it would be sort of procurement and you might not get the value out yeah. of it. So distilling where the value is and where you can position yourself um, has just meant that I now get value out of out of the events that I go to, um, as opposed to just kind of being there going, oh yeah, nobody really knows what we do. And they're not interested, so great. Yeah. yeah. So talking about um, prominence at events and um, and shifting into the music industry as a whole, you, you were on a, I think you were leading the panel at South by a couple of years ago, and uh, you were talking with, with Oleg, the, the uh the founder yeah uh, one of the founders of, of endel yeah um now back in 2019 they were the first ai entity music entity to sign a record deal mm. with warner music your platform is about discovery of this incredible back catalog of you know many instances hidden yep. artists yeah what's your thought on this emergence of ai music generated you know without license for whether that's a sound bed for a YouTube video or yeah. something you know, more fundamental in the wellness space like Endel are going. Yeah. Where, where do you see that whole piece? Well, yeah, and it was it was incredibly fun to, I like I like to moderate a panel. So it's, it's an art form, but it's easy. The moderator doesn't talk too much and you make sure everyone gets a little fair chance. Yeah. And yes. you only need a couple of prompt questions, Easiest, easiest job in the world, moderating. Love it. Happy to do it any time. And what I loved when I was moderating the panel with Oleg from Endel and um, Mahan from Spotify was there, and there was a, some artists in the crowd, some agencies. It was it was a great panel, and it was funny because Endel had pay, played a sample of their music just before the panel, and it was like a relaxation piece. Now I'm a bit of a skeptic around AI generated music. But honestly, when they were playing the relaxation piece, we were all sort of heavy eyelids and chill. And I was like, oh, maybe there's something a little bit to this. And I was like, that's interesting. And what I like about Endel's model is they seem to work directly with an artist to create a soundscape. So the whole thing can be licensed upfront. And, and there's, there's a creativity that lives with the artist. I think Endel are one of the more interesting applications um, in this space. But actually it was interesting because I remember when the press came out, Warner have signed a, an algorithm. And I think it reminds me a little bit of a news story we had at uh, Musio as well that ran in the Daily Mirror oh, of all places. Top tier, top, red top. Top tier publication. And we were in Singapore, of course, no idea why the Mirror ran this completely nonsense story about us. But what they said was, um, Musio, AI robot creates music. Oh. And I was like calling up my team, like, where are these robots? Am I going to rock up in the office tomorrow in like Singapore? Westworld. Full of robots. <laughs> I was like, there's no robots. There aren't any. I kind of wish there was, but there aren't. Um, but what they'd done was they'd, they'd deliberately or accidentally just misinterpreted a blog post we'd written um, where we ran a bunch of music that was successful on TikTok. We ran it all through the AI and we were like, oh, it turns out most of these samples are instrumental. Most of them are electronic music. Most of them are in a minor key. 
and most of them are 30 seconds long or whatever you know the the commonalities were yeah and then sean who was one of our music interns wrote a piece of music that also fit that description right so a human wrote it yeah and and then we published it and we were like you know taking what we know about the top tracks we've created a track that's a little fun blog piece that we did and yeah then the daily mirror it's like robot wrote this and we were like no that's sean Sean wrote that. Sean should um, forever more wrap himself in tin foil and just turn up like exactly, a robot. Exactly, exactly. But, you know, so I do believe that with the press, sometimes there's some sort of willful misunderstanding of the concept. And I think just maybe someone just thought it was just, it's fun to put robot in the headline, right? Man, the legacy print media have got a tough... <laughs> what do they do to stay relevant yeah yeah. Um, but like i say when it came to you know warner signing an algorithm that's a great headline yeah but i think the reality of the actual deal um now i know a bit more about endel like they'll do a partnership with a specific artist who might be a warner artist and there may be some exclusivity there and they will create sounds together soundscapes parts and then the ai will take that and then generate it into yeah. something new they're so, taking the stems aren't they that fly's going to die in a second by that... the way if it keeps har- harassing us <laughs> i love it it's probably not going to show up on camera so we're just going to no no it just looks like we're karate yeah, yeah. chopping thin air um yeah they take the stems right and then they build yeah. that into you know something that's generating um is that then a new route of monetization for artists to leverage their talent and their creativity in a different way because it's is you know it's a tough industry that's probably changed a little bit in terms of they make most of their money from live yeah, concerts yeah. rather than yeah. sales of um sales of albums you yeah. know and they try and do little tactics like muse did a pre-sale of their album and if you bought the album in the pre-sale you were the first in the queue for the tickets for their right, tour right so it's I hard think, as an artist i think it's just more and more becoming a collaborative look at how you can create a holistic living from being an artist. Mm. And, you know, as I say, back in the old days of record stores, you know, you were selling physical media. And of course the industry loved it because they sold everyone cassettes and then a new format came out, CDs, and they resold everyone the same stuff all yeah. over again. Yeah, best of Prince, best of the Beatles again. There you go, new format. Um, so, you know, that was, that was a golden era in terms of like, you know, sell the same product twice, you know, but that's not maybe a common business model we should all aspire to. So now we look at in the age of instant access and streaming, what does a career look like for an artist? And, you know, it can be a combination of many things. It can be merchandising, it can be ticket sales, it can be, um, you know, getting into the sort of web 3 2.5 how do you feel a greater connection is it tipping is it live streams is it a patreon account you know there are many ways to to build a collaborative career these days and i think it all you know if for the right artist a partnership with a company like endel where there is some monetization um, and because you're the artist creating and if you're comfortable with the idea that you're kind of collaborating with with algorithms and there's an element of artificial intelligence, then yeah, absolutely, that's that's part part of an agreement. In the same way, Travis Scott might do a hologram. It's yeah. kind of he's kind of collaborating with the design and the game and the elements of him and the game together. And I'm sure he made a lot of money from the from the relationship. So for the right artists, the right partnerships, it can be really interesting to see where the hybrid intersection with technology exists.
So that intersect with NFTs was definitely one of the main things at South by Southwest this year. I, I found it quite depressing, a lot of the content. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the metaverse <laughs> was one of the biggest... Yeah. Uh, I, I, my guys always get angry with me for ranting about the metaverse. <laughs> the metaverse content, is brilliant for entertainment, gaming, da, 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 productivity tools. I just think it's complete nonsense. From, from an entertainment yeah. point yeah. of view, I, I, yeah. I fully get it from a gaming point of view. Um, South by this, this year was dominated by mm. it. NFTs, that intersect between... Um, artists and technology yeah well it's all it's all just the buzzwords as well isn't it you know it's like it is massively you know web3 nft like you say that at the minute people i can't go to a a panel at the minute without there being a web3 nft panel because we everyone just feels like we should be talking about it um i haven't seen any applications of it yet that i love um i don't feel like the tech is where we need it to be because it kind of reminds me in 2018 when i started musio Every other company at the incubator I was at, like over 50% were crypto um, because crypto was the thing. Uh, Crypto, crypto, Bitcoin, everything. And, you know, there's always a new thing and there's always a new saying. The application of that technology is where it gets genuinely interesting. Mm. Um, And a lot of times the tech is just thrown in for for the heckins. I mean, it was the same with AI, although AI is a bit further down the line. You know, when, when we first started Musio, there was loads of companies saying, AI that weren't really AI. You know, it was just algorithms really, or it was somebody manually doing it in the background, calling it AI. So that was hard because I had to wade through that trust level of, well, everyone says AI, but it isn't. And then to have, you know, so the few of us who were doing a true, you know, neural networks and machine learning had to kind of push our way through. And I feel like Web3, Web3 is where AI was 10 years ago. Yeah, I agree. And and I, I wait with bated breath to see something that inspires me quite honestly. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that um, I saw this week, and we'll we'll tag them in this because we're going to give them some props. The Pocket Gods, I'm not familiar with their music, but I'm going to check them out later, are selling their new album, but only one copy available on vinyl, and it's available at Empire Records in St. Albans, and they're selling it for a million pounds for that single physical disc yep. that many people say is the best format of music ever. Right. Um, it's kind of an, like you said it before we started here, it's like an NFT kind of, yeah. you can own this one piece of history. Well, it's, uh, you know, NFT is non-fungible. Um, and if there's only one of them, then it's can't be fun funged with anything else. I don't think funged is a word. We've cut that it out. It is now. Uh, it is now. <laughs> um, so I don't, so it kind of is got a bit of the NFT. It's, it's, it's playing into the exclusivity. It's playing mm. into the, um, it's playing into the scarcity uh, market, but it's also kind of just like a kind of a crazy rock and roll fun thing to do. So I'm kind of hoping they're kind of a crazy rock and roll band. That's kind I of think they are. who I'm picturing yeah. in my head. Like, yeah, just flipping off the camera and just like, yeah you um and that's how that's how, how who i'm hoping it is um but that's an insane amount of money and i i i don't have that kind of snootage and i don't think i know many people that do and so it would so it almost feels like they can't maybe really expect it to be bought 
because it's just it's out of the you know it's, yeah, it's, it's a one percent a thing and then but I mean, if I did have that kind of spare money, spare money, would I, well, I would like—I would like to think I would do more honourable things with it. But if I had enough money to do honourable things and then still had that as spare money, I mean, the temptation just to buy it and be like, shit, just yeah. would be right there. Yeah. What's the resale value? Yeah. I don't know. Fifty grand. Probably. Tenner. Don't know. But it's—it's it's more of a, it feels like more of a thought experiment. But I like. Yeah, it was like that when the iPhone launched. There was a guy who just—he created an app. And it was just a diamond or a ruby or something. I'm old enough to remember this. And it was like five, I think it was $5,000 or something. And the only functional use was just that it was there. And that's how much it costs. So if people knew you had it, they knew you had that kind of spare money, Yeah. which is insane. But it also reminds me a little bit of the early, early apps. Do you remember the, the beer? It looked like a, yeah. a beer. And you just drink and it like that. You tip it and it looks like yeah. you're drinking it. I mean, that was what passed for entertainment back in our day. There was a cat as well you could prod and that would, it would just wriggle around. Um, oh, I, and then, I missed that wriggling yeah, cat. Yeah, there was a wriggling cat. And then, uh, and people would go, look at it, iPhone, isn't it great? Ah. <laughs> and then it became, wow, productivity is on a high now because now I can flick a bit of paper in a waste paper basket. Right. Do you remember that I one? I do remember that one, yeah. I do remember. Well, I was... I actually was not a super early adopter to the smartphone. I only came in around iPhone 4. I was 3. Yeah, I did so not I get was only one before. Yeah, you. I did not get the 3. I only had the 4. And, you know, I just held off for a long time because I just wasn't that bothered and I wasn't no. that interested. But I was talking to my taxi driver about this on the way here. Google Maps, absolute game changer. If you yeah. ask me about like the top 2 or 3 things that have like massively changed my life for the better yeah. google maps is up there because prior to google maps it just used to get lost all the time like you, you just didn't bring out your os survey map well i used to when i lived in london 15 years ago i did have an a to z that i kept in my oh, bag a to z, yeah. kept the actual physical a to z had a big one for home and i would check before i went out and then i had the little pocket one for, yeah. for course adjustments yeah, yeah. Um, but it was just a massive fuck on like yeah. you know, it was like, and it, if you couldn't find somewhere, you just couldn't, you just couldn't find it. Like end of day, if you didn't turn up at your allotted time of meeting someone, you were never mind. You might never see that person there's again. A, there's a really um, great story. Uh, like I'm a huge fan of like Reeves and Mortimer, yeah. uh, Vic Reeves. He's from Darlington as well, and the train guy uh, and Bob Mortimer's train guy. <laughs> but there's a there's a great story I think Vic tells about when he came down to London as a as a youngster. And they really wanted to go to the 100 Club, but they just couldn't find it. And they asked people and no one knew. No one knew. And I was like, just imagine that these days. You get to train for like three hours and then you just can't find the place you want to go. <laughs> so you just give up. Just give up. Yeah. Just, Do, does, on a serious note, as a founder of a technology company and now advising other companies, does the intrusion in what they know about you based on your Google Maps or whatever else, does that bother you? I put it to one side in my brain and yeah. go, well, it's helping me more than it's intrusive. I, yeah, I probably, I don't care because I don't think I'm interesting enough for it to be of interest to anyone. Mm. Um, and, you know, I suppose maybe the first time ever that I got a, you know, a, an email from Google being like, here's everywhere you've been in the last month. I was like, oh, that feels like an overreach. But I suppose once you realize that's all fully automated, they probably sent out, 10 million of these emails today yeah. and honestly i'm genuinely not doing anything interesting enough for anyone to look at it and i'm you know oh guess what i'm in tal yard london guess what i'm in the city center in leeds like 
as is hundreds of other people. Like I maybe think it's not that interesting, but you know, I think it's it's got the potential for overreach and it's got the potential for misuse. I don't know if I've just been lucky that I, I don't feel that way. Um, but yeah, no, I, I it doesn't bother me so much. Yeah, I mean, we were able to determine before we jumped on here that in fact you um, have come back to your original haunt. Yes. Around the corner where you started. Well, I don't know whether you started, but yeah. one of your early roles in the classical section of HMV in the Correct. basement, literally around the corner. Literally around the corner. So I'm gonna have a, I'm gonna do a little pilgrimage straight after this. Yeah. Um, and I was like, as I was coming here today, I was like, East Castle Street. Hope you don't mind me giving away the location. Damn it! Everybody knows where we are now. East, East Castle Street. And I was like, why does that? Why is that so familiar? Um, and I got a taxi here, so I wasn't really paying attention. But yeah, I when I was at university in Newcastle. My last two years of uni, I worked Saturday job, Saturday and Sunday actually, at HMV in Darlington, yeah. my hometown. And then as soon as I finished uni, I was like, shit, got to get a job, you know, got to earn my keep. I'm a worker. So I just basically went into HMV and I was like, can I, have, can I go full time? And they were like, yeah, because I was a good worker. And then, they, and then I was like, and can I get a transfer down to London? And they were like, sure. And so I had to wait for like an internal transfer opportunity to come up. And the only one that came up was in the classical music department. And I didn't really know a lot about classical music at the time. Um, but I was like, I know the job. I know how to do everything in this job. I just don't know that genre that well. I figure I can learn it. So yeah, so I got them to, to transfer me uh, down to London. And that enabled me, someone from my background, to be able to come down. I was earning minimum wage, but I could pay rent. I could move here. You know, I had I got the bus to work. And, you know, because I, I couldn't have just moved here on spec, on the off chance. So, so that really enabled me. And then I was at HMV for another year and a half, two years. Um, before I left and, and got a job at Shazam. So yeah, it was my first full-time job and it was my first job in music. Although people at the time were just very, oh, it's very dismissive of it being retail, but yeah. It's a kind of, it's quite sad that you can't, you can go and buy music, obviously, if you if you really want to, but yeah. just that experience of going into HMV back in the day, and it was yeah. just all there, particularly the flagship store yeah. on Oxford Street. Yeah. And it was just, anything you wanted there in all formats available. And it was it was such good times. I think 150 people worked in that store. Really? It was over like four or five floors. It was huge. Yeah, And I remember it. And yeah, so I was in I was in the basement and even in our classical department, it was like 10 or 12 of us, you know, shift rotations. But it was, it was an incredible experience because, you know, you were selling music, you were working in music and um, the type of people that worked there were music fans. Most people were in bands or what or DJs, and I'm still friends with people that I work there to this day. And you know, out of the staff entrance in the back alley, you know, the you literally you could take two steps and you're in the pub opposite yeah. the old goth pub. And so we ju we just used to go there every night. You know, it was it was um, it was a community. It was it was it was brilliant. You know, and it's and. I kind of feel bad for anyone who doesn't get to have that experience. But I remember when I was there, people were very dismissive. Oh, it's retail. It's not real music industry. And, and now it's like, you know, you weren't there, man. You weren't there back in the day, man. <laughs> I saw things. Yeah, you weren't, you weren't there. <laughs> yeah. So then 
this is kind of back to the beginning and we're massively running out of time, but I don't care because we're going to carry <laughs> on anyway. So then you went to Shazam. I still have Shazam. I use Shazam at least probably once a month. To right. Yeah. What's that? Yeah. Um, was that the beginning of then the idea of, ah, I can build a company? Um, what was that moment, that spark? Yeah, then? no, it was, I mean, I, so when I was at HMV, like I was sending out resumes every week and I sent out like 150 and I got one interview and mm. it was Shazam. Right. And the reason I got that interview is because the, my, the guy that ended up being my boss, Mr. Allen, uh, he said he saw HMV on my CV and was like, oh, she'll be a laugh. You know, so that's kind of what got me in the door. And that was all I needed. One interview, one opportunity. Um, and I got the job. And that was sort of, you know, it was at the time when Shazam was like, I was like employee number 25. It was like super small. No one had heard of it. And then it, you know, because it was pre-iPhone when I worked there. Right. But it yeah. became this huge thing. It became this huge app. It was pre-iPhone. Yeah. It worked pre-iPhone. So I remember. do you remember old mobile phones with keypads? I remember them. So you used to dial. It was actually dial. the pursuit to get the smallest phone possible yeah, yeah. back in the day. So you used to dial the four digits down the middle of the phone, 2580. So the company I joined was called Shazam 2580. You dialed the four digits and then it, you, you, it made a call. So it was UK only. You held the phone up 30 seconds and then it would send you like a proper text message back with the name of the artist and the song. Oh, right. And so that was the company I joined. Oh, wow. And then it shifted to a smartphone era. And then as soon as the smartphone came around, it went from being a UK only, you know, short code phone dialing property to one of the first apps. Mm. And it just exploded. We mm. went from like 30,000 users total to like 10 million, 15 million, boom, 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 100 million, wherever they're at now. So um, it was an amazing experience. And I think, like you say, it wasn't at that point that I thought, oh, I should do this. I should do a company. I was still, you know, 23 years old and playing in bands and I was going to be a rock star and you know it's just my day job and but every I've taken things from every single job that I had my understanding of how we did deals at Shazam how we built relationships how fingerprinting technology became legalized has all fed into what I do now um, but then, you know, when I was at Pandora, there was an element of, you know, encoding music that was helpful to my journey. But I did just kind of think, I thought, like, I've always thought, oh, I'll do a company one day. And I thought I'd just be like sitting around and all of a sudden I'd be like, oh, ding, doesn't work like that. No. Um, so I would have been waiting a long time, but I was actually invited to join a startup incubator. Um and I thought, okay, I'm not doing anything right now. That could be interesting. Um, and they pay you to do it, entrepreneur first. So I was like, yeah, cool. Pay me to come up with an idea. And I joined and I just, day one, I sat down and I wrote the 10 worst things about the music industry. And then I worked with my business partner, who's the AI scientist to go, which of these could, could AI solve? Um, number four on the list was just people are dickheads. And uh, apparently there's no AI <laughs> solution for that yet. <laughs> So still working on it. I worked uh, in the music industry in Australia. You can Google what's going on there. So um, <laughs> yeah, pretty uh, pretty tough times. People are dickheads. If we can solve that with AI or anything. Yeah, just anything. I mean, it doesn't have to be an AI solution. Maybe if I'd met up with a, with a blockchain scientist, he would have been like, yeah, I have a way to make people take responsibility for their horrific behavior. But... I, uh, you know, I we, we went the kind of the AI solution to the challenge of... I think you picked the right one. <laughs> what, do you, what do you do now? There's a ton of music out there. Yeah. Um, that's a big challenge. Yeah. So um, you touched on something a second ago, which I wrote down and I wanted to talk about. So community. Yeah. 
as a startup founder and now as someone in a bigger team, still with the energy and the spirit of a startup scale up as part of that, how in this virtual digital world can we continue the community aspect mm. that created friendships and network for you? Yeah. All those years back, well, sorry, not all those no, years no, ago. No, no, you're not wrong. I'm, in the basement of HMV. Because I, I really I struggle with this idea more than yeah. any. I think it depends and it depends what we're looking for. Like, I'm, I'm sort of excited by the way the next generation or younger generations create community through Discord, um, through uh, Twitch streaming, through, you know, Fortnite or Minecraft. Like there are new ways to connect that feel a little out of my area of expertise. Um, but I think we're at an interesting point as well because we are literally sort of having had two years of lockdown and pandemic, um, not saying it's totally gone, but we are in a place now where I've heard commentary around, you know, hybrid's great or working from home is great, but you do miss a little something by the slog of an office, like an experience, you know, like the, the cool stuff that happens when you just show up. Yeah. And so how do we replace that? How do we, how do we make sure that we keep the good stuff and don't have the bad stuff. Um, I think there are ways to do it. There are there are ways to, to build culture and community in, in businesses. There are ways to build culture and community in offices. And then I also think in terms of sort of music fans, whether they want to engage online, offline, like the meet and greet, you know, the signings are still popular. Um, so it becomes about which parts of it do we want to keep? You know, maybe we don't want to keep the standing in the line for 10 hours, but we want to keep the personal connection with an artist. And maybe that's why Cameo is so popular in those mm. those apps. So I think it's it's all about how do we evolve it so that we get the good stuff, but we make it more efficient without losing some of the magic. I, I definitely don't have the definitive answers. Yeah, it's, I think it's something that, that needs to be worked on. Um, definitely taking into account different people have different patterns of yeah. working, yeah. but there is something that can't be beaten. Everybody hustling yeah. in that office, yeah. the deadline, yeah. the revenue target, whatever yeah. it might be, everyone yeah. behind it that you can't somehow recreate. Well, what I love as well, I had someone come up to me literally last month um, because while I was at Shazam, we were trying to put lyrics on the platform and it was a kind of a manual ingestion process. So we hired like two groups of 10 people and we had them on shift, early and late shift. And they needed somebody full time to a permanent member of staff to be on each shift. And I volunteered for the late shift because I am a super night owl. Mm. Like I love to stay up till three or 4 a.m. I'm terrible first thing in the morning. I think even for this session, I was like, afternoon, anytime in the afternoon is fine. Just don't get me before midday. <laughs> and someone who'd worked as a freelancer on the night shift remembered me from like 15 years ago and i was like the night shift like and it was a, it was kind of a thing because everyone else had gone home but we just did our work into the night and you know i i love that yeah. and you know to, for someone to remember it years later is uh, yeah but obviously at the time it probably just felt like more of a drag but yeah sometimes the drag's good as well i get a sense that this just is all the building blocks yielded the thing right? yeah. it is 
kind of tapping into your to your life journey. Um, we are now fully out of time. The editors will say, stop talking, because this is going to take us ages. They can just cut that bit out about the where we look at the fly for ages. No, no, I think that was good content. Oh, that's top. That's yeah, we'll key. do that as the yeah. cut down. Okay, great. That'll be one of the 30 second nice. cut downs. Top tip though, we've talked about a lot of tips, but top tip yeah. for, for, for founders, people with an idea, what, yeah. what's your top tip? Oh, just one. Hang on, did I have one before? Um, we've talked about loads, but um, is there something that jumps to mind? You are a, you, we haven't talked about the, the female founder thing, which yeah. I'm kind of, in a way, like that we haven't talked about it because it shouldn't be the yeah. focus, but it is, I yeah. guess, important. Yeah, it important. well, it just, I, I, so I sh there are so many tips and it depends. If like, if somebody was asking me about picking a co-founder, top tip. If someone asking me about raising money, top tip. Like, it really depends on the, the specific, you know, the specific area that they want that tip in um, or selling a company, top tip. But my funny top tip for, um, because my co-founder, Aaron, Swedish guy, brilliant scientist, uh, CTO in our company and co-founder. And he is married to a lovely Singaporean woman. I am married to, a, to another British fellow. But because we're the same age, We'd quite often show up to uh, investor meetings and investors, they'll ask you anything. There's nothing, yeah, how old are you? Are you married? Yeah, have you got any kids? They don't, there's no sort of like uh, interview process that, you know, we can't ask that. Not in a, certainly not in a VC world and not- Because they're investing in you as well in, as the company. Exactly, so they want to yeah. they want to know everything and they'll ask stuff that I'll be like, oh, I don't know if I'd have asked that. But, um, and so we'd walk in and they'd just be like, oh, oh, are you married? And I'd always <laughs> just say, yeah, but not to each other. Yeah. Uh, so you know, just kind of finding a fun way to, and it never, never bothered me, never offended me. But um, but the yeah, I mean, you do get a lot of married couple co-founders, so maybe it's a fair assumption. But uh, f trying to find a way to deal with it with humour uh, was always my favourite way to go. Ultimately, and I think it's a great tip because because you um, you want a, an investor or investors that bind to you. So you shouldn't be afraid to show your personality in that mm. moment. Yeah. Because otherwise they're going to find it out soon enough after, yeah. particularly if they're strategic and be involved. Yeah. Uh, one of my investors, I actually turned him down at the seed round, but he handled it because we were oversubscribed, but he handled it so professionally that when I was raising again, I he was the first person I called. Whereas some people, when I said, sorry, we can't take your money, were just real dicks about it. And I was like, right choice. Yeah. Um, so when I called this guy up, um, who I ended up saying, oh, if you want to come in, he was like, oh, I'm so glad because you and Aaron are just so weird. And I was like, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not weird. And he's like, you're super weird. And I was like, okay. You can, and then I was like, yeah, he's pretty right. We're pretty weird. Always back the weirdo. Yeah. What great advice to, to, to leave this, uh, this really Great chat. I really enjoyed this. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been lot, fun. A lot of fun. Um, if people want to find you, Musio, because you advise companies and mm -hmm. sit on some um, some boards of different companies and yep. things, but where can they find you, first of all? Uh, yeah, me specifically, LinkedIn's probably the best place. Uh, so you can just look up my name, Hazel Savage. I get many invites. So if you want to connect on something specific, pop a little note in about why you're connecting and, and, and where you found out about me. Cause I just get hit up with a lot of cold calls and sales and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, hit me up on LinkedIn. And then um, Musio uh, is Musio. We, we can put the thing right with the thing, Musio. 
got two eyes in it. Yeah, musiio.com. Yeah, yeah. Um, really fascinating company that you've built and all the work you've put in hopefully gets even more enhanced with the acquisition by SoundCloud. Congrats on that. Thank you so much. Thanks for talking to us today at the Iris Pod. Cheers, thanks for having me. All right, my final bit, because otherwise I'll get told off by the team. Sorry, you'll have to listen to this, Hazel. Remember, there's this white paper. It's about the call and contact center, um, digital transformation pursuit. How do we build out this incredible customer experience? Uh, we've got some exciting news about that, which probably will be released by the time this podcast goes out. So you'll be able to read about that. I won't spoil it by saying it here. You can go and read the other thing, but you can download the white paper at iris.audio forward slash white paper. Why do I always forget this? Yes iris.audio forward slash white paper. You can get that for free. Um, we're going to be at the Call and Contact Center Expo in November. And we're also going to be at the business show where we're the headline sponsor in November as well. So you can come and see us. Or as revealed by Hazel earlier, we're on East Castle Street in London. So you can just drop by. We make a good coffee. Pop in. Pop in. Just pop All right. in. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Hazel. Thank you so much. Cheers. All right.